right, well, wonderful to see the house filled with people who love the Lord today. Wonderful to hear the worship of God just arise among us and, and go up before him, right? It's a glorious thing to be in the midst of it. This is a taste. That's what we have to realize. This is a taste of what is coming to us in complete fullness. This little moment when you kind of get away from all of the things in this world that are stressful and crazy and disappointing and hurtful and frustrating, but you've got to face them. You've got to do life, and you have to do it strong. And so we come back together first thing each week. First thing that we do each week is come back together again and just take some time to renew ourselves in the presence of the Lord. So Donna Vanderplug is here. Well, isn't that a wonderful treat? Good to see you. Good to see you guys. Donna has been through a long season, as many, many of you know. But she is a champion. Greater is he that is in her than he that is in the world. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, now, as you know, we have been studying the book of Proverbs over the last couple of months. Um, Today, we are going to do like a part two on Wisdom 101. Maybe I should have called it Wisdom 102. I don't know. Or 201 or something or 202 or something like that. But we're just going to kind of carry on from where we left off last time because there were a couple of things. And if you remember last time, I kind of ended up on the topic of the fear of the Lord, right? Because that is so important in this passage because I know you've all memorized Proverbs chapter 1, 1 through 7, you know that at the end it says the fear of the Lord is the, be, is the foundation of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So the fear of the Lord is of great significance and of great importance for us to understand it and more than understand it to actually live within that. But it's not the whole story. So I want to go back to touch on just a couple things there and then we'll move on into something fresh for this morning. But before we do anything else, oh, we have... Embracing the purpose of Proverbs. So and I, there, there is a study guide or some study guides that are floating around there. Again, I don't think it's very pretty, but it'll at least give you something to take home with you that you can um, look over the verses that we're talking about today and kind of the topics, the things, the points that we're making. And um, so I'm glad to be able to provide something like that. So... Um, <clears throat> to ask you one more time to stand together so that we can honor God's word as we quote this opening chapter, these these opening verses of the book of Proverbs so that we can get them in our head. How many are really working on it? Are you really working on it? That's not too impressive. That is really not too impressive. I'm just telling you, there's nothing more valuable that we can possibly commit to our minds than the word of God. God's word's going to last forever, right? All flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the, as the uh, flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades away, but the word of our God will stand forever. Right? So everything that we learn that is God's word is an eternal treasure, something that will be eternally beneficial. So um, that's why we keep on wanting to just kind of goad us all into uh, being able to learn more of the word of God. So here we go. Let's quote this together. These are the Proverbs of Solomon. David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, 
to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. All right, let's move it to the second group of verses. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be in your presence today. We are so grateful to belong to you and the fact that you have called us, we understand this is not of ourselves. This is the gift of God that you called us into fellowship with yourself, having made us a part of this eternal family that you're building called the church. And it's been going on 20 centuries. You've been gathering lives from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every kindred, every place around this globe, calling people to repent and to believe and to come into true living fellowship with you. So we bless you, we pray. What an honor it is, O Lord God, to sing songs to you. And all my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. Yep. How many will say yep to that? You might not say amen. Yeah, I realize we're in New Jersey. Amen may be way too much to ask. But how about a nice yup? Okay, good. All my life, right? So anyway, amen and yup. (laughs) Or yup and amen or something like that. That probably works. So Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity again to come into your presence, to enjoy your presence, to revel in the benefits of our salvation. We come before you with our problems, with our joys, with our cares, with our needs, the whole package. We put it before you. We cast all of our anxieties upon you because you care for us. So bless our time. We ask this morning, Lord God, Holy Spirit, take these words and and just sow them into the innermost part of our spirit, into the deep heart where they will bear fruit and blossom and they will bring glory to your name and to your reputation. So be with us, be upon us, O Lord God, right now that we might communicate both here and to receive the things of eternal life. Pray this now in Jesus' name and for his sake and all of God's good-looking people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we're kind of... Kind of it sets up a nicer tone. You know, we, ha- we have had, there have been times I've said, just turn to the person next to you and say, I just thank God that I don't look like you. <laughs> it's way too much fun to be having in church. Okay, so all of this, and of course you, you see that that last, that last uh, phrase, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline, um, it's so important. It's the beginning. It's the foundation. We dare not fail to give proper emphasis to this whole notion of the fear of the Lord, to, to grasp it and understand it, to appreciate it. Um, it is not the goal. It is not the high point. It is not the culmination. It is not the intended goal. Fear of the Lord is not the intended goal. That will be superseded as the relationship with the Father continues. But it's the starting point. It's the beginning. So, 
I just have a couple things here that I'll go back to. What does it mean to fear the Lord? And again, I'm looking to just kind of um, tell it like it is, okay? And, and what I believe it means in terms of fearing the Lord is the way of wisdom begins with fearing the consequences of disobeying God. Okay, there is going to be, at the end of this life, a meeting between you and the Father, right? It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. That's coming, all right? And even right now, God is watching over our lives. And there are a couple of verses that we have to keep in mind and, uh, and really support this very idea. One is probably the most foundational moral principle in the universe, It goes like this, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. We spend lifetimes trying to think that we can break this rule, and you can't. You can't break the law of God. It's only you that get broken in the process. But the law of God cannot be broken, we just break ourselves smashing up against it. God is not mocked whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Anyone who has trivialized, anyone who, has, who marginalizes or just simply dismisses God is on the road to disaster. I would say they're on the road to disaster both in this life and even more so, they're on the road to eternal disaster in the life that is to come. They are on the road to eternal separation from God. If you are, it's, I think it's C.S. Lewis who, who put it this way. He says, anyone who winds up in hell will have won the war that they waged against God. How about that? Right, how about that for a different perspective? See, we, mankind would like to think that God is just up there making arbitrary decisions. Blum, pull the lever, you go to hell, boom, chuckling about the whole thing. And nothing could be further from the truth. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? He has made a salvation possible that all all you have to do to enter into the fullness of the blessings that God has is believe it. That's all. You don't have to put a dime in the offering. You don't have to do any great spiritual works, to to enter into the fullness of all that God has. He just says, just believe what I said. Just believe what I did. Believe me. Trust me. But uh, we struggle with that. So anyway, it is important for us to, uh, to nail down this idea of the fear of the Lord. Notice what Jesus says, and this is a sobering verse. I think very sobering verse. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. So it is the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning or the foundation that this particular um, text um, offers to us. It is the basis point. It's the starting point. But it is not the goal. It initializes It initializes the proper relationship, but only to get it started. And the reason that it initializes the proper relationship is that most of us have a lot to be concerned about if the God of the universe was just going to open the books. And everything's right there. Everything you ever thought, did, said, right there. Right there will be no, no justification, nothing. And so 
if, if we take that, in, and I know I would say that I'm presuming that every, almost everybody here has taken that seriously. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But that's, that is an imminent reality. And the job of the church is to continuously um, advise with that goal in mind, right? So <clears throat> um, notice what, what Jesus says about this. Don't, you don't need, oh, one, the, another thing that, that also got said in the process is simply that fear of the Lord, properly placed, delivers you from fear of everything else. Fear of the culture, fear of the economy, fear of the whatever, you know, sickness and death and all of it. It swallows all those things up. Now, where it's meant to go, ultimately, is that, that fear will grow into love. If, as you, but that will be contingent upon our getting to know God. If we, as we really come to know this God who has so graciously provided a salvation that we could never be worthy of or deserve, as we get to know this God, that fear originally, that sense of, oh, I don't want to mess up, becomes, God, I want to do for you, I want, I want to be part of this wonderful thing that you've called me into. So, the proper fear of the Lord eventually matures into love for the Lord. Here we go, and let's take a look at that in first, as it is presented in 1 John, where um, John says, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The amazing part about this whole thing is once it really dawns on you that God has not placed you on probation, but God has welcomed you into full sonship, and when it dawns that like I am so unworthy of any such blessing, it just changes your whole idea about who God is. And it's purify my heart, make me holy, cleanse me from my sin deep within, all the things that we said before. So if we look at the last statement of, the, um, of that opening of Proverbs, uh, we, see the, uh, the, we see the problem. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. In Psalm 2, there is a, there, God gives us a picture of what humanity looks like from his point of view, okay? And he says, the words say, why do the nations, or the, some translations will say heathen, why do, why do the nations rage? Why do the people, why, why is the imagination of mankind constantly in turmoil? Right? So he, he gives this picture of the, the restlessness of humanity and the recklessness of humanity. And he says, why, why is there so much raging? Why is there so much anger? Why is there so much tumult? Why is there so much commotion among the people of the world? And he goes on to give a justification. The kings of the earth have set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us break their bands from us. Let us cast their cords asunder. Okay, now this, this, is very, this really concerns God and has him very uptight. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh, right? That's what it says. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. In other words, the Lord will deride this foolishness, right? And he will say, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Jesus comes into the mix and says, I will declare the decree. 
right? My, uh, you said unto me, you are my son, this day I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the uttermost part of the earth for your, for your possession. So here's, why are the nations all enraged? Why are the people of this world such a mess? Because they are standing in defiance of the God who created them and the God who created this world. And that is so much a part of this whole thing. How, Proverbs says, I don't know exactly where, man's ways, man's goings are of the Lord. How then can a man know his own way? Right? That, that's just a simple statement of logic. If God made this, not the, you know, this world, this universe, this cosmos, this all, God made this, and all of you, God made all of us, how can it possibly be that I could ever find my way if I don't start with God? Come on, somebody missed a great spot. There we go. <laughs> okay. So, um, God's picture of humanity is this organized, rebellious insurrection. That's a real one. That's going on worldwide to withstand his rulership. We will not have this, this God to reign over us. Let us cast their bands asunder, throw, their chain, throw the chains away, right? And what ultimately, um, eventually happens is it becomes a train wreck. So our world is filled overwhelmingly by people that the Bible defines as fools. They have no knowledge of God, right? Fools despise wisdom. And, and, and since that is true, consequently, they have no regard for how God set life up to work. That's the thing. God created life with certain guidelines, and if we figure it out, we can start to act actually within context of how God set things up to work, and guess what? Like we sang before, your goodness is running after. Your goodness is overtaking, which is how it goes. When, you, when, when a man's ways please the Lord, says the Proverbs, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Right there, Pastor Joe? Right? <laughs> I downloaded this. This is one of Pastor Joe's old, old messages. You know, I scarfed it up. Uh, come on, baby. Right? Man's ways are of the Lord. So, so all of this has to do with, like, it's not possible. And, and so um, I want to conclude this section of the fear of the Lord with a passage from Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, as you probably know, is very important. Romans chapter 1 is the... Uh, universal condemnation of mankind, right? Um, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness uh, and ungodliness of mankind who suppress the truth in, right, in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God um, <clears throat> is already known to them so that they are without excuse. And the, the problem is all of us suppress the truth in unrighteousness and ultimately, man, we see it on the grand scale these days, don't we? It is, it is on the biggest possible stage, suppression of truth. But that, that kind of thing goes on for all of us. No, that's not true. That's not real. No, I didn't do that. No. And it, it, it's just a problem in us. And so in, in, in uh, Psalm, or in uh, Romans chapter 2, what Paul did is he took two Psalms, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, which really are the same Psalm. And they're really the same Psalm in two different places, and he put them together because they say something very important. Actually, the, those psalms are of great interest because both of those psalms say this phrase with great clarity. There is no God. Would you believe that the Bible actually says 
there is no God. It's true. Although we need some context here because what the scripture is saying is the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Right? And when, and when we see people all over, any, anybody who just simply says, no, there is no God, what a thing that is to say. That I have been everywhere in the universe, searched everywhere, checked out everything, and I have no God. I know. Right? And I live on this time. It is the, it is the height of arrogance, isn't it? To just, there's no God. Anyway, here's, here's what Paul says when he puts this whole picture together. Oh, do we have one more? Ah, yeah, there's one more verse here you recall from Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is, this is the problem with humanity. So here's his conclusion. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In the paths or their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. The conclusion, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So as we look at the world, even right now, if, as we look at our culture, if you want to identify one thing that is wrong that's causing all the other wrongness, go right down to that one. We live in a culture, we live in a world, we live in a time where there just is no fear of God in people's hearts. And if there is no fear of God, it's kind of like there's a famous statement by uh, Dostoevsky. He says, without God, everything becomes permissible. You gotta let that sink in for a minute. That is absolutely true. Without God, everything becomes permissible. And so, when there's no fear of God, you get all this, you know, you can see the, the terrible behaviors and the terrible attitudes and the terrible cursing and all of it. It all comes from the fact of just not having the right, proper respect and fear of God. You see it everywhere. Um, so, let me see, I thought I had some other thing. Okay. So with all that, okay, so we have closed the book. Now, we, we, will, we will set chapter one aside, the fear of the Lord, you got it. How many are ready to fear the Lord? Yes, indeed, right? Wisest thing that you can possibly do. So you, the, the problem with the world under that, um, under that, by that description, is that it is hopeless. It never succeeds. And that is true for individual lives. When our lives are totally misaligned with the purpose of the creator, who created the creation and created me as part of the creation. Like I said before, man's goings are of the Lord. How then can a man know his own way? So it is inevitable that we will stumble and bumble and mess up and hurt one another and act radically. And so all of that is, of course, that's going to happen because there is no fear of God. And so the world is dysfunctional. It doesn't work, it can't work, and that's why pursuing the world, as John says, don't love the world, or the things of the world. Everything that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, is not of the Father, 
but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, but those who do the will of God will abide forever, right? So th- there is no hope for this world, and, and, if, and if you follow it, you will become part of the dysfunctional world. And th- this is not what God wants. It, it, God is not happy to see life become a train wreck, to see life become a disaster, to see hurts, and, and that's, that's all that happens when we follow the course of the world. As it says, but you who were dead in your trespasses and sin when you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and were by nature children of wrath. That's where we started. But God who is rich in mercy. Amen. So, we're uh, about the fear of the Lord. All right, but... Let's go on with this topic of wisdom. What is the first thing that God wants you to know about wisdom? You need wisdom. You you need wisdom. This is non-optional. You must have. And um, I I thought maybe I could get to it this morning, but I won't. The scripture talks about two different kinds of, of what the world defines or what is known in the world as wisdom. There's a godly wisdom. There's also a demonic wisdom. There's a demonic counterfeit for everything that God has made. This whole thing that's described in James chapter three, that kind of wisdom, is the devil's way of trying to carry. It looks good, but it doesn't work. It only creates further tension, further drama, further separation, further resentment. That's, that's what that wisdom does. So you need, I probably should have put up there, you need God's wisdom. Without that wisdom, it is certain that you will become part of the dysfunctional world and you will ultimately fail and this is not what God desires for your life. So let's take a look at this passage from Proverbs. And notice the um, insistence. That is, um, that is behind this admonition or this command. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she'll keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. <clears throat> Exalt her and she will promote you. It's kind of like if you exalt God's wisdom, God's wisdom will exalt you. God's wisdom will raise you up because you'll be, if you are walking in God's wisdom, you know what, you, the place where you work loves you. You get the job done, you do it completely, you never just waste time, goof off. You, you are the most diligent worker. Why, because it's so important to you to climb the scale? No, because you're serving the Lord there. So while everybody else is doing whatever they're doing, you're serving the Lord on your job. And so you can't serve the Lord with a half heart. And so you're doing your job better than anybody else. So the wisdom of God, to honor the wisdom of God means that that wisdom will honor you. God will raise you up. Just like Daniel. Boy, that comes to mind. Think of Daniel. Now Daniel is a young Israelite man. He's probably, he's a teenager it's presumed. He is alive at the time when Nebuchadnezzar comes to destroy Jerusalem. This, this is an act of judgment by God. After hundreds of years of God patiently <clears throat> watching the backsliding of Israel, sending them a prophet, calling them back, they backslide again, another prophet. After hundreds of years, God is ready to drop the hammer. 
And so Nebuchadnezzar comes, he is the king of Babylon, and he is going to destroy the city. The Jews don't believe this is going to happen. They said it could never happen, because they just believe, hey, we're God's people. But it's going to happen, and when it does happen, Nebuchadnezzar's troops come in, and they take all of the young people who are good-looking and smart and cultured, and they bring them all to Babylon, and they essentially put them into like a training academy so that they can learn the wisdom of the Babylonians. Daniel is one of them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are among them. And, and so if, if we really understand the life of Daniel, here is, a, here is a young person who has all of his rights trampled, everything. He is taken from his home. He is taken from his country. It is very possible that he's castrated because he now is going to be around the, the king's court and the king's ladies and the king's harem, and we don't need any stuff there. So it is, it is very likely. And then as a final thing, he's told, you're going to eat this food. And this food is, he knows, has been offered to idols and is part of some type of pagan ceremonial ritual, and he just can't do it. But with this excellent attitude, with the wisdom of God, this excellent attitude, he offers an alternative. He says, here's what we'll do. If, you know, may the king live forever, O king. Yeah, here's what we will do. If, I, if you'll allow this, give me 10 days, I'll eat the stuff that I can eat because it's kosher, because I can't eat that because it's not kosher, but I'm not just going to put a big puss on and have a bad attitude. No way. I mean, you know what I mean? None of that was, would have been appropriate. He would have just been slain. But because of a, of a good attitude, so I'll eat that for, you know, 10 days. Then we'll come back. 10 days later, we'll see who looks better, me or your guys. Come back 10 days later, Daniel is flourishing. And so it just becomes a manifestation of his wisdom. What does that do? That pulls him right into the king, right? Then a little little further, the king has a dream and can't figure it out and has no idea. He can't even remember what the dream was. He just is really troubled and disturbed by this dream. He calls in all his wise men, all of his soothsayers, all of these people. They have no idea. They say, nobody's ever asked this before. Daniel gets the word from up top, and he comes in. We, the, the, the phrase just said, if you, ex- if you um, love her, she will exalt you. That's exactly what you see in the life of Daniel, don't you? You see a young man who loves God, who, will, who, who is unwaveringly predisposed to walk in God's way and wisdom, but is not a snot or an arrogant or a fool, and so he makes, he, and, and, and gradually he becomes like, at the top of the stack of all, all these other guys, all these other astrologers. All right, so anyway, I gotta get it. Anyway, so the, the whole idea be, um, behind this is just simply you need wisdom. This is like, without it, the only possible outcome is failure. Why do you need godly wisdom? Well, we'll start here. To succeed in life, Tell me this is not the most basic thing that could be said. To succeed in life, you need to know God. You need to know who you are. You need to know why you're here. And you need to know where life is going. Right? If you don't know those things, you can't succeed. You may make a lot of money. You may be a big deal somewhere. You may have a lot of stuff. But you can't succeed if you don't know the one who created all this. You can't possibly succeed if your ways do not align with his ways. To succeed, you need to know God, you need to know who you are, you need to know why you're here, and you need to know where life is going. Here's a verse of scripture 
found in the book of Revelation. Pay attention to the language here. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. What are you here for? What is your life purpose? Your life purpose is to make God happy. You know that? If you, if you focused on that one thing, I want to please my heavenly father. I want to please my older brother, Jesus. If you, if you and I, we were, we were watching it on C.S. Lewis, and, or we were doing Mere Christianity on Wednesday night, and he makes this tremendous point. He brings out that verse of scripture where Jesus says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And of course, that's one that we all kind of back up a little bit. And so C.S. Lewis is saying in his book, um, generally people often understand that verse to be saying, unless you're perfect, I won't help you. I won't do anything for you. And that's not true. If God was waiting for perfect people to be able to help us and do something, um, that would never happen, right? But what, he, what the Lord is saying is, I will only help you if your goal is perfection. I think that's a staggeringly important thought. In other words, he's not interested in doing a half job on you. He's not interested in just kind of dusting a little bit of the world off of you or just changing your mindset a little bit. He is interested in bringing you and I into the full perfection of the Godhead himself. Be you therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. For he makes his sun to rise on the evil good and sends forth rain on the just and on the unjust, right? So let, let our, 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 our destiny is to be conformed to the image of Christ, and that means perfection. And along the way, God is, it, when, the, when I first said, Lord, I believe you, the Lord said, good, let's go. And then he just starts running you. He just starts putting you through the moves and putting you through the paces and taking you places you didn't think you had to go. And, and we're, we're kind of like, okay, God, I'm good now. <laughs> right? And God says, son, you're not quite perfect yet. Not quite. We got a little ways to go. So anyway, a couple of, uh, that verse of scripture tells you, here's the whole, here's the whole uh, crowd in heaven. And they are saying, for your purpose, all things were created. Here's a quote by C.S. Lewis as well. C.S. Lewis says, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Every moment is owned by God. Every square inch of this universe is owned by God. It belongs to him. And so it makes sense for us to give ourselves to God and, 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 and invite him to do his work of perfection in our life. <clears throat> okay, um, Second reason that you need wisdom, because you will be needing to make many destiny-affecting decisions in the days and the years ahead. You'll have to choose what kind of work you're going to do, what school you're going to go to, what people you're going to hang around with, who you're going to marry. Oh, I mean, these are big-time issues. These, are, these change your destiny. For all of these things, you need wisdom. Also, when you think about... <clears throat> um, I think I had that a little further. Well, I'll just go with it. If, <clears throat> when you think about what James says, 
When do I need wisdom? My, bro- my brothers, count it all joy when you come into many different kinds of trials. Yes! Not really, but, right? My brothers, count it all joy when you come into many different kinds of trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its complete work, that you may be complete. Same word again. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lack wisdom, isn't it true that when you go through, like, really difficult times, you just know, oh God, I gotta get something from you. You gotta help me to see this in a, in a perspective that is like the way you see it because I'm not liking it very much right now and I'm not appreciating the uh, work of discipline that <clears throat> you have added to my plate here and help open my eyes to the reality of all this because I know your word says you work all things together for good to those that love you and are the called according to your purpose. But I'm just not yet seeing it, God, so I need wisdom. That's throughout life, those kinds of things are coming. They will come again and again and again. doesn't matter how spiritually advanced you get, how much you know the word, how deeply involved you are in, let's say, the work of the, the Lord in this world. Difficulties are coming. It, actually, the difficulties are the rule. Fun times are the exception. I, I would have had it the other way. If I was God... We'd have made fun times, you know, but that's why I'm not God. One of the many reasons. Okay, one of the many. I I don't think I heard that, but anyway. I was thinking of of like Lorraine and my um, life. We got saved back in 1978. We had been living together for three years. I mean, we, we were just a couple of young people doing everything wrong, right? I'm playing in bands. She's working... In, in various different bars and clubs and things like that. That was our life back in 75 to 78. And then Jesus comes into the picture and she gets saved first. I get saved not too far thereafter and life radically changes. And the, the pastor of our, of our church <clears throat> began to suggest, well, we got, we got saved. She got saved in March, I got saved in April. We got married in July. And actually, <clears throat> a week from next Sunday, um, we got married in July, and we were off to a rip-roaring Holiness Bible College, Pentecostal Holiness Bible College, by September. Whew, what a year. <clears throat> but I remember when the pastor came, and he said, you know, I think you ought to consider going to Bible college. And I thought, well, maybe, I don't know. Like, my, my real thought, my real internal thought, because I figured, since I'm saved, since God saved me, he must really be reaching the bottom of the barrel right about now. And, and I got a lot of other friends that are still down in that barrel someplace, and I really would like to be influential to help other people to understand what this is all about, because nobody knows this. Nobody knows what this is all about. And so I really was thinking, three years, Bible college? I'm going to spend three years out in Export Pennsylvania, I don't, I don't know that. If that just seems like I'm going to take so much time, it's going to I'm, I'm going to lose all the continuity. Well, you know what? It was the wisest thing I could possibly have done. It didn't necessarily make great sense to me at the time, but it was the wisest thing that ever could have happened, and I, I'm grateful to God for for all of it. So um, you need. Wisdom, because you're going to have to make lots of destiny-affecting decisions. You need wisdom because you can't know anything about your life or God without it. You can't, you can't succeed without it. And number three, you need wisdom to make your relationships work. 
Wisdom is really the glue for relationships. Without wisdom, man, relationships, and that, that really is one of the ways that you can kind of test your own life to see, like how, how much are you a person walking in wisdom? Because if all your relationships are discordant, or if everybody else is a jerk, <laughs> guess who doesn't have any wisdom? Right? It's like the, you know, you ever, I've said it before, but that's why I'm so happy to have new faces here. I can tell all my old jokes. <laughs> my old friends here, well, you know, they, they'll put up with it. But it's like the man who had Limburger cheese on his mustache. Have you ever heard of that? Right? The man with Limburger cheese on his mustache walks into the kitchen and he goes, man, it stinks in here. What is that? I'm getting that. This, this place stinks. Walks out of the kitchen into the living room. Man, it stinks here too. Man. And, you know, so the story, all around the house, this is the bedroom, down the basement, up, everything, it, it just stinks in this whole house, right? Well, what's the problem? Limburger cheese on his mustache, right? We, but we can get like that. I, you know, we get bitter about, oh, I hate this place, or I hate this situation, or whatever it happens to be. But many times, if every, well, if everybody else in life is a jerk, if your boss is a jerk, if your wife or your spouse is a jerk, if your neighbor is a jerk, if... You probably ought to check to see uh, what's the wisdom quotient right about now. Anyway, we got to press on. So you need wisdom to get your relationships to work. Number two, wisdom comes from God. God is the only true source. He is the only source of wisdom. Only, it can only be gotten from him. Notice what it says. Here's the Proverbs version. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Notice that, that sense of passion. You know, I want you, to, I, I want you to get this. You need this. I want you to have this. Yes, if you cry out for discernment, Lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So this passage lays the burden upon me of seeking and asking God for his wisdom. The good news is well, the, 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 the next um, spot that we have here will, will be very encouraging because I need this wisdom and I need it bad, but God is eager to, to, um, to give it to me. So a, an important truth just contained in this idea, it's very simple but, but very important, is that if you, when you find yourself around people who have no fear of God, have no place for God in their life, you can be sure those people are fools and you probably should do your best to spend as little time with them and not to let them influence you. Amen. Amen. Right? Don't, don't love the world, neither the things of the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Right? So this, so it's important to realize that um, God gives wisdom out of his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He desires to give it to me. But the, the lost world is just a train wreck and it is a road to nowhere. So, 
Um, number three, and we'll probably wrap it up with this. God wants to give you his wisdom. All right, this is, this, because he knows how desperately his wisdom, godly wisdom is needed by every individual human life, because he is so acutely aware of the reality of that, he desires to impart his wisdom to us, especially in difficult times. Now here's the passage from James, okay? But to get to it, again, he says, my, my brothers, count it all joy when you fall into many different kinds of trials, knowing that the trying of your faith will produce patience, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, lacking nothing. But if anybody lacks wisdom, and that's where we pick it up, if any of you lacks wisdom, he has only to ask of God, let me see, um, who will give to all begrudgingly and without kindness, and it will be given to him, right? Who gives to all liberally and without reproach. I like, there's another version might be ESV, which says, who gives to all liberally and without finding fault. In other words, God is not interested in scolding us about the bad things. Bad kid, you know, puts you in a timeout or something like that. No, God just wants to like open our understanding to the reality. This is where, this is what went wrong. Do you understand? I understand, Lord. Okay, here we go. Move forward. Without um, he will give to all liberally, generously, and without finding fault, without scolding. Well, you never should have done that. No, it's just impart the truth to his children so that we can walk in his wisdom. Um, <clears throat> but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven in and tossed by the wind, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Many years ago when I was, um, when we did the, opened the Christian school in Randolph for years, um, I, I cooked up this little skit, and it was, we probably should do it sometime, it's, it was fun. And it's got two, two boys who were probably maybe around sixth or seventh grade, and I put a gigantic pair of pants, like maybe a 55 waist, okay? So we put the two boys in the one pair of pants, put a gigantic shirt, and dressed him up, and here he is, you've heard about him, now you're gonna get a chance to actually meet with him, the incredible double-minded man. <laughs> right, because that's what the, the verse, right? Um, that such a man is double-minded. He's too so. And so in, in walks in a rather strange way. I, th I think each had to straddle one of the legs to actually get it to work right. And you know, and I, and I, I was able to do an interview. Double-minded man, what a blessing to have you here today. It's so great to finally get a chance to meet you. How are you doing? Terrible. Great. <laughs> you know, but that's the thing, right? Double-minded, double attitude towards everything. God says, no, get, get single-minded. Put all of your eggs, put all of your direction, put all your energy in one direction. What is that direction? To please the Lord. To do what is pleasing to the Lord. Great things will be forthcoming. Okay, I think we gotta wrap this up, kiddies. So, how do I get God's wisdom? <clears throat> I don't have my Bible here but it's really easy. You got one there? I'll take that one, thank you. Here's how you get God's wisdom. 
Is that something I'm not supposed to see? No. <laughs> Here's how you get God's wisdom. And you pray, oh God, let my heart know and understand your heart and your words and your thoughts and your interests and your desires and your ways. Let my heart know your heart. And then go back. You read some more. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. Wow. Who tremble at my word. But those who choose their own way, delighting in their detestable sins, will not have their offerings accepted. When such people sacrifice, it is no more acceptable than a human sacrifice. Wow. Anyway, that's how you get God's wisdom. That's the amazing part. It's so available and so easy that it'll just simply be a terrible condemnation, a terrible judgment at the end of the road if I didn't have any. Like somebody standing there ready to write checks for a billion dollars at a clip. So no, no, thanks, I don't need that. Uh-uh. I'll be first in line. Let's pray. Lord, it is, it is with great joy that we recall all of these things and speak of these things. And it is, it is of great joy to realize that there is not a person in this room there is not a person in this world that you do not love and hold the highest possible desire for their well-being, for their salvation, for their success, and for their productivity in this world. This is true for everybody here. And we just pray, just stir, we've, we've placed, the, uh, placed the word out there, stir it up, O oh Lord. Stir it up and stir us up to have a greater passion to get to know you, to learn your ways, to, to apply them to our ways so that our lives might be an advertisement. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness, oh God, your goodness is running after me. Isn't that true, care? Right? Isn't it true? My precious little daughter over here. So God, fill us with wisdom for Jesus' sake. Make us people in this world who bring the scent and the fragrance of your glorious kingdom into this broken, confused, frustrated, insane, tumultuous world that we might as Jesus did, bring the kingdom here to the world of men. Pray this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.